We have been studying through uh, the life of Jesus and what we call the Jesus passages. And each week you've been reading, uh, receiving a reading plan. This week we're anticipating week 29. And Jesus is, has left uh, Galilee. He's going down through Samaria and he's heading back. He's heading to Jerusalem for the last time where he's going to be crucified. And he's going to demonstrate the real cost of commitment to the Father and that he's willing to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. Now, today as we look at the cost of commitment, I think it's healthy for us to try to discuss that a little bit. And we got a lot of our friends away on Memorial Day, and let's pray for them. But today, let's take the opportunity to sort of share together. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just, in a minute here, I'm going to ask us to sort of stand up and stretch our legs. And just turn to the people around you and say, if a person was committed to Jesus Christ, this is the cost. This is a cost. Not a bunch of them. Just think of one or two. Here is the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ. All right, for Christ it was a cross. What is the cost for us? Let's stand together. Stand up and turn two or three people, and we're going to take about 30 seconds. The cost of the commitment. Okay. All right, you can be seated. Let's uh we got to give the preacher time to preach here. <laughs> All right. Help us that <laughs> not in this church. <laughs> okay. Let's uh what did you come up with? What is give me one cost of commitment of to Christ, huh? Give me one cost. What's that? Did you say suffering? Sacrifice. Okay, sacrifice. All right, there's got to be an element of sacrifice. Christ died on the cross. So what's the sacrifice for us? All right. Someone else. Hmm? Persecution. Persecution. You know, a lot of people today suffer. There's you know, more martyrs in the last century, they say, than the rest of the history of the church. That's an amazing statistic. All right. Sacrifice what? Pride. Sacrifice our pride. All right. Not my will, but thy will be done. We have to sacrifice our pride. Very good. We have to, um, the big cost for us is separation from family who do not believe. Okay. Okay. Ostracism, even from loved ones who may not share the same values, believe in Christ as you do. And so sometimes they look down upon you or ostracize you, you know, for that. All right. Just because it's blood doesn't mean we have the same values, does it? Hmm? Okay. A couple more. I think truth is, is relevant in today's society. Okay. Truth. All right. Truth is relevant. Two and two today equals three. 
or five. It doesn't equal four sometimes. And truth is relevant. We've taken what we think are standard values and we've changed them according to, and defined them according to culture and the feelings of people as opposed to what God has said, what God has spoken. All right, truth can be relevant. Yes? Okay. And then there's uh, know you that you what know you not that you're not your own you're bought with a price that price being God the blood of our Savior. Okay. Um, I can't give him anything that he doesn't already own. Mm. All right, Jerry. All right, Jerry, the world belongs to the Lord, and he has bought us with his, with a price, hasn't he? And that sacrifice, so we can't give him anything that he doesn't already own, but he's given it to us to give back to him. Great, great lesson. Thank you, Jerry. For the persecuted church, um, death. Okay. Okay, for the persecuted church, death, and uh, the, 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 the flushing out of their life. Well, you know, we could go on and on, the cost of commitment, but Jesus is saying, if I'm going to do the will of the Father, what's that for me? For him, it was the cross. You follow me? And we've got to ask ourselves today, Jesus is making a major decision. He has decided to leave the region of Galilee. He's going to pass through Samaria, and he's going to Jerusalem, where eventually he is going to die. And so now he's on the downward stroke of his, of his life. And as he does this, he wants to talk about discipleship. And he wants his disciples to know where the action is. The action is in following him. Um, we had a friend of ours that was going to a Christmas uh, potluck dinner one time, and, and they had never been in the neighborhood before, but before the but days of MapQuest, they uh, got directions, and they got to the street, and they saw everybody going to the house, and they walked in with their covered dish of food, got in there, took off their coats, and uh, the host and hostess took their food and put it in the kitchen, and they're sitting around the living room, and after about 15 minutes, they realized they didn't know a soul in this party. And they had the right idea, but they're at the wrong party. <laughs> their party was two or three houses down. <laughs> so, so they had to apologize and get their food back, put their coats on, go down the street to the real covered dish party. <laughs> now, my lesson is this, is a lot of people think they're doing the right thing. They think they're at the right party. But in reality, they are not at the party of commitment that God has created for us. And today, Jesus wants his disciples, as he's going down through Samaria, he's just been rejected by the Samaritans because he's going to Jerusalem. And so this village will not entertain Jesus, house him and feed him. So his disciples say, shall we call down fire from heaven to destroy these people? And Jesus says, no. And he keeps traveling towards Jerusalem. And on the way, he encounters three different people. And these people are illustrations to us of discipleship and the cost of discipleship. And so this morning, Jesus is speaking to us in a sense. You know, this is Memorial Day. We are thinking of the ultimate sacrifice that people made uh, so that we might enjoy the freedoms that we have. Jesus died so that we might have the freedoms and life and eternal life that we have today. And the issue is, what does that cost for us? And as you see these three people, Say, let one of them be a mirror to you and say, God, by your grace, I am willing to do that. Because when we think of commitment, we think that following Christ, maybe some of the commitments are too high. But what Jesus wants us to know is that any commitment that he asks us to make pales, pales in comparison 
to what he has for us. Let's look at these three men. If you have your Bibles, please open to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. As I mentioned, Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, and he encounters three different individuals. The first is found in verse 57 through 58. As we look at each one of these three encounters, you'll discover there's a little bit of a a familiar structure. There's a request uh, about discipleship, and then a reply that Jesus makes to each one of these people. And ask yourself, what is the request, what is the reply, and then it'll help us discover the truth. The first gentleman is found in verse 57, and it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, how would you like to be Jesus? You've just been rejected, okay? You've been through all this, these theological discussions with the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and uh, they've made fun of your miracles. They say these signs weren't good enough. You go to Samaria on the way to Jerusalem, you're going to give your life as a sacrifice. The Samaritans will not accept you. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes up and says, Lord, I am willing to follow you. In fact, Lord, anywhere you go, I will follow you. Now, that would encourage me. Would it encourage you? But look at Christ's reply in verse 58. He replied, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now that's an odd response. (laughs) Why would Jesus say this to this man? I think he wants to teach him a lesson. And the lesson is this, is, is you've got to filter your commitment to me. And as you filter your commitment, there are several things that are coming to play. And the first thing that's going to come to play are the comforts of life. And one of the biggest barriers to following Christ is enjoying the comforts that this world has to offer. Who created the birds of the air? Who created the foxes that roamed the earth? Our Father did. And what did He do to create them? He instilled in them the ability... For a little bird to go into the grass, pick up a twig or a piece of grass, and to fly into a tree or into your, 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 somewhere in your house and build a nest. And he built inside of those animals the opportunity to build a den for a fox or a nest for a bird. And his own created beings have these things. But Jesus says, but the Son of Man, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I have chosen, he says, a life of poverty. I have chosen a life of dependence upon other people for to meet my human needs. And I have done that so that I might accomplish the will of the Father here on earth. And I ask myself, how could I get past the comforts in life that tempt me so much? Well, I think the answer is just simply to follow the example of Jesus Christ who refused those comforts so that he might be fully committed to what the Father had for him. Now, is Jesus saying it's bad for a bird to have a nest? Is he saying it's bad for a fox to have a hole to live in? Is he saying it's bad for us to have a house or some of the pleasures of life? No. He blessed people like Abraham of old. Abraham was able to give a tenth of what he gave, and Abraham was a a blessing to many generations. And God blesses people, and God honors hard work. The point he is trying to make is this, is is don't let the comforts of life get in the way 
of you being a faithful disciple and follower of what Christ has for you. When I was young, in this room here, we used to show some films called The Focus on the Family. James Dobson was just starting. He thought that he was a, he was a, um, a, a psychologist, uh, and he thought that if he... Uh, was asked to speak in so many churches and groups that if he put his lectures on videotape, he could relax and go back and enjoy his family and practice. Instead, it kicked off his worldwide popularity, and he started the ministry called Focus on the Family. One of the things he said in that first film series, which I have never forgotten, is this. The more you own, the more it owns you. And every time I look at my study and see all the books I got to lug around from location to location, I go into my garage and see all the stuff that we're storing, and I say, why am I keeping this junk, huh? I recognize that the more I own, the more it owns me. And Jesus is saying, free yourself from stuff so that you can follow and be a faithful follower of me. I remember preaching on giving one time at a Bible conference and a, and an Asian gentleman came up to me afterwards and he says, I just don't, I just don't know, I don't know if I can buy this. You know, giving so much money to the Lord's work. And I said, well, my wife is out. Why don't you come back to my little room and, uh, at the camp? And we sat down and I shared the scriptures with him. Here's what the Bible had to say. My checkbook was in my briefcase and I pulled out my checkbook and I said, here's my checkbook. You can see how much I deposited from my last paycheck. And you can see the checks that I wrote to the church and to mission organizations. And he left my room still very skeptical. And I thought to myself, he wasn't skeptical of what the Bible had to say, because the Bible's very clear. He wasn't skeptical of my illustration, my example, because I just demonstrated to him that I try to practice what I preach. What was holding him back was that he could not envision his life existing and being fulfilled by giving God part of what he has, as Jerry says, he already owns it anyway, by giving him and living on less so that the kingdom of God might be proclaimed. And the issue was not the Bible. The issue was not me. The issue was that man. He could not trust that God would fulfill his life, that God would honor him and use him and make him just as happy as he honored the Lord. The reason is, my friends, I think, is that we tend to tokenize God. When in reality, with our giving, with our substance, we're not tokenizing God, we're tokenizing ourselves. We are robbing ourselves of the blessings that God wants to give to us. One of the stories in the New Testament, a man came to Jesus and says, Lord, we call him the rich young ruler. He said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turned to this man. He knew that he wanted the comforts of life more than following Christ. He said, young man, he says, go sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. You come and follow me. Now, he's not saying that we all have to do that. But he knew that this man had an attitude towards possessions in his heart. And he was testing that man. And the story ends with these words. That rich young ruler went away very sad, very sad, because he was very rich. There was nothing wrong with having wealth. The problem is allowing the comforts of this world to become a barrier where I am so consumed with these things, I don't fulfill the commitment that I have to God. One of my favorite missionaries is a girl, a single woman named Dr. Alita Bell. She's probably retired by now. She said when she retired, she was going to go to northern Ontario and uh, be, serve the people there that don't have doctors in their, in their city. And uh, she went to north east uh, India near the border of Nepal for the purpose of serving the medical needs of, uh, of the poor. 
While she was there ministering, a group of wealthy Indians came to her and said, we would like to pay you handsomely to, to bless us and to meet our needs, be our doctor. And Dr. Dr. Bell turned to them and said, you know, I, that's not God's calling for me. <laughs> you know, she could use the cash, right? I mean, she's a missionary doctor. But she says, God has called me to take medical uh, support and help to those that can't afford it. And you can afford it, but the people God has called me to serve are those that can't. You see, what she was saying is there's nothing wrong with you having money. There's nothing wrong with making a dollar. But the issue for me is for the calling that God has given to me, here's a sacrifice from human comforts that I must make to do this. And Dr. Bell said that sometimes in his village, all these people needed was clean drinking water. All they needed was clean drinking water. And she would try to raise money to, to build a well that was elevated so that the people would not put their sewage and their, their human waste back into the well. And they could survive and be free from some of the eye diseases and, and pain that came their way. And she said, sometime I would just take my paycheck and I would pay for the well. You follow me? So that these people might live. My friends, Jesus wanted them to know 2,000 years ago. And he wants us to know today in the most blessed society that has ever existed on earth materially that God has given us this stuff to use to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And I ask you today, are you possibly like that first man where you think you're following, but in reality your life is consumed with the things of this world? He wants you to know it only pales in comparison. The second gentleman comes to him. In fact, actually, Jesus approaches him. In verse 59, it says, He said to another man, so now Jesus is initiating this conversation. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, is there anything wrong with burying your father? <laughs> I think my dad's funeral was one of the most uh, meaningful experiences of my life. I think I cried halfway through it, and I had to quit crying to go up and preach the sermon for it. There's nothing wrong with burying your father. But he says, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, is Jesus hard-hearted? <laughs> is he being callous? This man, his dad has died. Now, in the, in the ancient, uh, in the ancient world, they would, and the Jewish custom is they would bury a man, a person within 24 hours. You see it on TV? Person shot in the morning, they're buried in the afternoon. They didn't, they did not have the embalming stuff that we have today, but also Jewish tradition. They would have them buried the same day. So in other words, this man is either saying one of two things. One is my dad is very old and death is knocking at his door. Or two, he's died. Just let me go home, put him in the ground, and I'll come back and follow you. Jesus is not trying to be obnoxious. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to say, of all the choices, of all the priorities that you have on your calendar today, even the death of your father, there is nothing more important than following me. And therefore, everything you have to decide today has to be filtered through your commitment to Jesus Christ. When I was 15, I was sitting at the uh, dinner table, and it was September the 9th. And my, uh, we were talking about my birthday coming up on September the 15th. And I was sort of letting the family, reminding them of that fact and educating them on what would be good gifts, you know, for the birthday boy. And as we were talking about those things, my, uh, 
my mother turned to my dad and said, Alden, huh, 15 years ago today, your dad died. And that was the first time I understood that my grandfather died six days before I was born. I'd always wondered why my dad did not travel from Dallas, Texas, to New York State to attend the funeral of his own father. Here he is, a preacher. And yet he didn't travel to New York State. And I always thought that was odd, that my dad didn't attend the funeral for his own dad. But at that moment, I understood why he had a wife with, great with child at home, waiting for the second child to be born. And he realized that the priority that he had in life was not the death of his dad. Even though that was special to him, the priority he had was the pregnancy of his dear wife. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to know that there are many choices and priorities and pressures upon us. But there is nothing, nothing more important than following him by proclaiming the kingdom of God. And that's why I think in daily choices, the key to that is to ask myself, how can I proclaim the kingdom of God? He says, let the dead bury the dead. But for you, go out there and govern your choices by a proclamation of God's truth. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but what, what will not pass a word away? My word. My words will not pass away. So of all the times and all the opportunities I have today to spend my time, to use my voice, to spend my cash, to use my hands, my feet, and commitment to Jesus Christ, what is the greatest thing I could do, he says, is to proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, my friends, as I read that passage, I think, what a wonderful filter to look at and to say, God, you want me to make decisions in my life based upon, is this give me an opportunity to be a faithful witness in word or in deed of your message? Uh, when I was in seminary, the last course they taught us was called uh, A Survey of, of Theology, of Doctrine. And Dr. Charles Ryrie, who wrote the, the Ryrie Study Bible, he taught that class to the seniors. And we met two hours a week, and he'd review everything we'd met, learned in four years of theology. The last week of the class came. He says, now, guys, he says, you don't have to come this last week. It's optional. I'm going to talk to you about finances, personal finances. I find a lot of guys mess up in ministry because they don't pay their bills. And I'm going to teach you what I think the Bible says about finances. Attendance is optional. Well, I went like crazy. <laughs> I wanted to see what this man had to say. One of the questions was, he was asked was this, how much is debt? How much should we go into debt? And Dr. Ryrie, he said, you know, you have to go into debt for a house. You have to go into debt for cars and other things. He says, you know, people differ about that. He says, my standard for this is you're in debt when you cannot sell your assets and then be free to follow the call that God has for you. So if you are stuck in, in a job, if you're stuck and God calls you to be a missionary or God wants you to change your life and do something and you can't do it because of finances, then, he says, you're controlled by your finances, and that limits you from going out and proclaiming the Word of God. And, you know, I thought, it's not just finances. It's everything in life, choices, you know, family, career, business, uh, desires of the heart, hobbies, sports. What is it that could possibly keep me back from being a person who, by God's grace, you know, filters all my choices by proclamation of God's truth? Kristen and I were in Chick-fil-A having lunch this past week one day. 
And all of a sudden, uh, a dear uh, African-American gentleman walked up to me and said, Hi, Reverend Gannett. And I had no idea who this guy was. And uh, he said, I'm so-and-so. Remember, we met at the nonprofit meeting. And I said, Oh, yes, you work for the United Way. And he said, Yeah. And I said, Well, good. How are you doing? He said, Well, I still got your business card. And he says, One of these days, I might just show up at your church. And I, one day, I might join one of those men's Bible study groups you have that use that little journal you keep talking about. And I recall that what had happened, Chip and I were at a nonprofit deal, and I gave him your greetings, Chip. And there's an African American guy over there sitting, standing by in the corner by himself. And I thought, well, I don't know anybody here either, so I'll go over here and I'll talk to that guy. Before the conversation was over, I found out he lives here in Bluff Park. I invited him to the church. I invited him to join one of our men's groups. You follow me? And, uh, and the point is, is God, I have a choice to eat some food. And I'm a crowded room with people I've never met in my life before. But I see a man over there is in the same situation I am. God, my, by your grace, in word or deed, how can I proclaim the kingdom of God to this person? And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, you want to follow me? There is nothing, there's absolutely nothing on your calendar, on your schedule that is more important than following me and doing what I have called you to do, and that is to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. My friends, is there somebody in your world that needs the message of Christ, the kingdom of God? Is there someone in your world? Right now, we uh, have a dear lady across the street. She's in her mid-40s. She's in hospice care. She has a little baby that's three years old. And Right now, she's our mission field in word and in deed. This past week, I was, took my trash out. I heard the trash guy coming, and so I quickly ran my can out. I was late, and uh, and I met her husband, John, and we were out there talking, waiting for the trash man to come. And I said, how's your wife today? He says, well, we've got this scooter. We'd like to go get this scooter for her, but I don't have a trailer. I said, I can get you a trailer. I can get you a trailer. You know, the hospice is going to give them a scooter to use. And I thought, wouldn't it be great for Memorial Day weekend for her to be able to get outside and go up and down the street in the sunshine <laughs> and to be on this scooter? You follow me? I said, we can get you a scooter. Susie calls, what can we do to help? And she says, well, she loves Jello and she loves with that little mandarin oranges in it. So Susie runs off the grocery store and buys mandarin oranges and makes Jello and takes it over so that this dear woman can have these mandarin oranges. You know, one day, uh, they have a little three-year-old that's home with a mother who's in a hospital bed and uh, a grandmother who's trying to take care of her and a dad who's at work trying to make a living through all this process. And Susie says, why don't I take little Max and go to the park? And goes over and takes Max out of their hair for a couple hours, give him a break. Yesterday afternoon, we were sitting in our, sitting in my garage working on this sermon because our power had gone out and the neighbor calls, hey, your, your power out or are we just not? I said, no, you need to pay your bills. <laughs> no, I said, it's out over here as well. And I thought to myself, there's nothing more urgent in my life right now than to bless that dear family. And my friends, we know they're sick. We know they're hurting. There are people in your world that you don't even know they're hurting yet. But tomorrow's going to come. And there's nothing on your schedule there's no priority in your life, Jesus says, even the death of your father, than to proclaim the kingdom of God, to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to the people God has placed in your world. John Cook, 
of Cook's Pest Control died recently. And before he died, one of the stories he told me was this. He said, you know, he says, I got a call from a man in Atlanta. He was, his business was not doing well. And I was going to buy his, uh, his pest control business. I went over to have dinner. I had the money and the contract in my pocket. I had the check. And I sat down and found out this man, A, was an alcoholic. And his alcoholism was destroying his marriage. And God tapped me on the shoulder and says, this guy doesn't need to sell his business. He needs to become a Christian. And over the dinner table, Mr. Cook, John Cook, taught this man how to believe in Christ. Told him that God loved him and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for his sins. And if you'd only trust him, he'd forgive you and make you his child. And over that dinner table, that man trusted us, trusted the Lord. John helped him heal his marriage, helped him build his business. And when this couple had their 40th wedding anniversary, they invited the cooks to come from Decatur to come and celebrate. And they said, this man not only introduced us to God, but this man saved our marriage and our family. Why? Because he realized there was nothing more important in his life, even making more money, than to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God to this dear man. Jesus wants us to know the comforts of life, daily choices and priorities, how you spend your time, your life. Filter it through the cost of commitment to him. Then there's one more man who Jesus approaches. And if you look at verse 61, it says, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. That sounds reasonable. Let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus, knowing the heart of every individual, responds this way. He says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. You see, what Jesus knew is this man was double-minded. And that when he used his family, he was using his family as a very wholesome excuse. God, I got a, I got a family. <laughs> I got to go back and say goodbye and, and honor them. But Jesus is looking at them and saying, you know, you're really honoring them above me. And you'll always be looking over your shoulder. And a farmer who plows a straight furrow puts his, his eyesight on a tree or a fence post in the distance. And he keeps his focus on that direction. But if he looks back over his shoulder, he will lose that focus. But he moves forward and plows a straight furrow. And Jesus says even good things like, like family members, even family members, can stop us. Even family can stop us in our commitment to the Lord. I love my family. I was really raised in a generation we said we got to focus on the family more. And the more we focus on the family, the more we have lost ministry. I believe we should focus on serving and commitment to Jesus Christ. And the family will come along. And our desire to overcome mistakes of the past, in my opinion... We have focused on the family to the extent where we have lost ministry. And we've raised a generation that know church and wear a cross, but they don't know how to serve God. They are not faithful commitment. They are not faithfully committed to Jesus Christ. And I asked myself, if we had flipped that, instead of putting the emphasis on family, and put the emphasis on, on commitment to Jesus Christ, they would have seen in us 
a loyalty to Christ, commitment to Christ. And the generations behind us would want to follow him in the same way. I remember going on Christmas Day, and, and in Canada we'd often have people in the hospital on Christmas Day, and I felt like, you know, as a pastor I should go visit these people, even if it's Christmas. So we'd open up our gifts with little kids. Then the gap between that and the turkey dinner, and I would take one or two of the kids, and we'd go to the hospital, and we'd visit who's in the hospital that day. And, and this Christmas, Greg and I were going as a gentleman who was dying, was in uh, Joseph Brand Hospital. And after we went in, it was Christmas Day, and he was by himself. And we talked about Christmas and talked about family, and we prayed to this dear gentleman, and we left. And I remember we were walking from the hospital to our car in the parking lot. And my son Greg turned to me and says, Dad, that's what Christmas is all about. (laughs) And I thought he learned more about loving God by being involved in ministry, by doing the work of God. And my friends, I think one way we have failed past generations is we put our hand to the plow, we think we have, but we're looking over our shoulder and we're babysitting our families at the extent of Jesus Christ. But if we serve Jesus Christ, I think we would have families that are stellar. You know, I look at those three men and I say to myself, is it wrong to have a home? Is it wrong for the birds to have a nest? No, that's a good thing. Is it wrong to go to my dad's funeral? No. (laughs) My mother's funeral, I don't think it'll be very long off. That's precious moments in our family. Is it wrong to have a family and to spend and invest my life in my family? No. Jesus says, but they all pale. They all pale in comparison to being committed to Jesus Christ. Are you committed or are you looking over your shoulder and wishing I had more of that stuff? I ask myself, what is the solution to all that? Well, it's amazing. In chapter 10, Jesus, first one, he sends out 70 and the text says others, <laughs> others, which means by implication that these three did not follow, but 70 others did follow. And then in verse 2, he says this. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. What is the solution to the pressures of life? What's the solution to the comforts of life? What's the solution to the priorities? What's the solution to the pressures of family? I mean, I can make my, my family the number one priority and then never get to the priority of serving God. What is the solution. The solution, he says, is to ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field, to pray and say, God, by your grace, get me out there. By your grace, help me to see the things of this world for what they are. Naked I came into this world, naked I will go out of this world. God, help me to shape my calendar and my priorities. God, help me to shape the values that I have, even with people that are the most precious to me, so that in everything I do, I filter it in light of that commitment that I have to serving Jesus Christ. Oh, God, help me to know that all these things only pale, only pale in comparison to serving you. You know, I look at that and I I ask myself, 
How could I do that? How can I fall into this trap? Because it's very easy to do. It's very easy for me to go to church, wear a cross, carry a Bible, and think I'm doing everything for God, when in reality, I may not be. I heard a a secular speaker the other day use the illustration of Princeton Theological Seminary. They trained the gentleman, and they want to do a test on preaching a sermon on the Good Samaritan. Remember the Good Samaritan? The three, uh, the two Jewish representatives, the priest and the Levite, came by and didn't stop and help this man. But a Samaritan, right, culturally different, an enemy, he stopped and bandaged this man's needs. And they asked these seminarians to, to prepare and preach a sermon in class on the Good Samaritan. But the test was this. This one study group, they would tell them, now, you're supposed to go to this class and present that message, but you're ten minutes late. They think you're already there. So you have to hurry to get there and have time to preach your sermon on the Good Samaritan. So the guy gets up, he leaves, and on his way from this, this spot to the classroom, there's a needy person there that's been planted. And says, I'm hurting and I need something. Would you stop and help me? I gotta go, I gotta go. Ninety percent of the seminarians ran past this man to preach their sermon on the Good Samaritan. Ninety percent. Ninety percent. What's the lesson? We think we are committed. I can even preach a sermon on it, right? And still covet the possessions of life more than I do serving God. My first job in ministry was a janitor of a church as we were working our way through school and seminary. And I remember working with a guy named Jack. And Jack had th- was one of the deacons in the church that came by and actually did work. <laughs> he came by and was painting one stuff with me, and we were painting this stairwell. I remember turning to Jack and said, Jack, you know, there are a lot of men in the church, but you're, you have a commitment that's sort of above and beyond the rest of them. I said, what is it? He says, Ron, he says, God changed my life. I made a commitment to the Lord. I had three boys, and I raised them, and they became just like me. They had bad habits. They did not attend church like they should. They had very little commitment. They imitated their father. In my old age, God blessed us with little Tim. And I said, God, this man's going, this boy's going to have a different father than the other three boys. And he trained that son to love Jesus Christ by the way he was committed to the Lord himself. My friends, Whatever you think is too high of a price, a cost of following him, Jesus would say, I have not seen, nor has ear heard, nor can the mind even conceive of what God has prepared for those who love, who serve him. My friends, it only pales in comparison. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed. And yet this blessing is not without a purpose. You've given us our resources. You've given us our time. You've given us spheres of influence for a single purpose. And that is to to be committed to following you in such a way that hearts are turned toward heaven. Oh God, I pray that you might help us not to be like these three, but to be like the 70 others who made the decision to pay the price to follow you. Lord, give us eyes to see those barriers in our world today, those pressures, those problems, those resources, those, those things.
that keep us from being committed to you. And Lord, I pray that we might break through them and make a difference in this world, just as Jesus did by going to the cross. Oh, Father, today we pray that we might build memorials of your grace in our lives by the way we pay the price of the cost of commitment and everything to you. Lord, just as Jesus did this, we ask that you might help us to do it as well. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.